Welcome to Game Night with the Saints. We're your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. We're a husband and wife who have a passion for board games, and this podcast is dedicated to sharing that passion. So episode seven is finally here. We're sorry. <laughs> it is almost going to be a week delayed till we get it out to everyone. Things have been really crazy in the Saint household. Now, if you're joining us for the first time at episode seven, our usual format is we share a board game memory from the past couple of weeks, and then we go into our notable news and crowdfunding corner, followed by the topic of the week. And this week, we're doing a review of Sleeping Gods by Red Raven Games. And something a little bit different this time, though, Brad and I have been really busy. It took us a while to get the podcast out, obviously. (laughs) And the only game we've really had time to play is Sleeping Gods. And we said, well, it doesn't really make sense to share a memory about the game we're going to review. So this week we don't actually have board game memories, but we wanted to let everyone know that we recognize for the two of us how crazy things have been. So with the upcoming holiday season, we are going to do one more podcast this year and then we'll be back after the first of the year on our regular schedule of every um, other Tuesday for release. So with that said, Brad, do you have any notable news this week? Yeah, we've got uh, one piece of notable news. The French board game publisher Yellow, I-E-L-L-O, is severing ties with Yellow USA. They have communicated how, they, how they'll be distributing their games in the U.S. going forward, but they have taken down the ELO USA website. They, and I quote here, reserve the right at a later date to communicate the reasons which led to these decisions, end quote. And that's a really kind of ominous statement to me, um, both because... They publish quite a few games, uh, especially in the family line of board games, and we don't know how they'll be coming to the U.S. now, and we also don't know why this change is being made because they're reserving the right to talk about it at a later date. So, uh, more to follow, but uh, if you want any of their games, now might be the time to buy them if you're a U.S. uh, consumer. So, let's jump into the crowdfunding corner. Did you want to go first this week, Brad? Uh, Sure. Uh, So I picked Lords of Ragnarok, published by Awaken Realms, and that's currently on GameFound. It's a uh, troops on a map type game, but it has multiple possible win conditions. And if this is starting to sound familiar, that's because it's a sequel to another game that Awaken Realms uh, published a little while ago called Lords of Hellas. Um, and the miniatures look great, and I think this game will definitely have a superb table presence. And I really like the idea of Lords of Hellas, as having multiple paths to victory in a Troops on a Map game was super interesting to me. But it sounds like that game kind of degenerated into only one or two of those wooden conditions were actually viable. Um... So I'd be really interested to see if Lords of Ragnarok kind of nails it this time because there is a lot to like there. The aesthetic is really fun to me. It's kind of steampunk Norse mythology mashup, which I think is really cool. And uh, I really like how the monuments are actually built up physically as you play. They're like segmented into pieces. And as you build the monument, you take another piece and put it on top. So... You know, you start with Thor's feet, and then you get to his, you know, knees, and then his waist, and whatever, right? And I just think that, you know, it tells a really interesting organic story while also having a great toy factor. (laughs) Um, There are some, you know, Kickstarter red flags here because the major focus of the page itself, the game found page, is on the miniatures and not the gameplay. But Awakened Realms has some hits under their belt already, um, and some misses too, depending on who you talk to. But if you if you like their stuff, right, like you liked Nemesis, you like Tainted Grail, this is something you should probably definitely check out. And that's 
Lords of Ragnarok, and that's on GameFound through November 10th. What did you go with this week, Jess? Well, you were talking about the toy factor. That's what caught my eye with my pick this week. So the game I picked this week is called Steam Up, A Feast of Dim Sum. And the platform it's available on right now is Kickstarter. And it's from Hot Banana Games, which is a Canadian board game publisher. And it's designed by Pauline Kong, Hyman Lee, and Marie Wong. And it is a self-described competitive dim sum collection board game offering a delicious cultural experience. So if this isn't your first time listening to our podcast, you know I am a sucker for all things (laughs) food when it comes to looking at games and cute things and this game has them both um it's for two to five players and it plays in 40 to 60 minutes which as i've often said is our you know when i look at a game i think of families like us not a ton time to play that's the perfect window to hit a weeknight or after your kids go to bed to to sit down and play um But you play as one of the 12 Chinese Zodiac animals, and you're trying to position um, the steamer, and they are actually little steamers on the board. It's not like it's little toy steamers. And the board is like a lazy Susan where it rotates, and you can deny people their food by rotating it away from them. It, It looks really fun. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're trying to get your steamer, and you're... And I love this term, feast zone. By the way, I may start using this at our own dinner table. Stay out of my feast zone. Don't reach over there for those. <laughs> There's a, this is a little insight. There's an argument in our family about whether it's crab ragoons when we order them or cheese wontons. And I grew up with cheese wontons. So stay out of the feast zone of my cheese wontons. <laughs> anyway, so back to the game. So you're trying to um, make sure that you gather the food tokens um, that you need to be able to get the steamer you want when it's in your zone. And um, once you get your steamer, you put the dim sum on your Chinese Zodiac animals board to get points. So it just seems really fun. It doesn't seem like it's complex. I feel it'd be a great family game and just a good time in general. There's also fortune cards that you get that can help shift so even if maybe you feel you're behind, you might get a fortune card that comes up. Um, I've already said a lot about why I like it, right? That there's the toy factor, um, but uh, the artwork is super cute too for the Chinese Zodiac animals. And there's two versions. There's the, the base version, and then there's a deluxe version. And it's the deluxe version. In fact, um, a friend of mine on Facebook, I didn't even know was into board games, actually shared that she was excited about this game and it started a whole conversation. So hopefully maybe they'll come over and play with us soon (laughs) um, that she's going to be backing this game. She's like, I I can't resist the deluxe version. I'm like, you can't because the, the dim sum becomes squishy little squishy pieces, squishy pieces of the deluxe version. And I believe the um, Zodiacs even become meeples, which are super cute. So there's a lot to love at this game. The buy-in isn't actually bad for either either level, 50, 59 for the base and 79 to get the deluxe. Um, and it is fully funded and it is on Kickstarter until Thursday, November 11th. So still a few days after we go live to, if you haven't, to take the opportunity to check this game out and to back it if you would like. So Great. our topic and game of the week so our feature game for the week is Sleeping Gods, designed by Ryan Lockett and published by Red Raven Games. So Sleeping Gods is a campaign-based adventure game. In it, players take on the role of the crew of the Manticore, who have just awakened in a completely strange and alien world. They're tasked with waking the gods in order to return home. To that end, they will travel all over in order to find totems of the gods' power, which will assist in rousing the gods from their slumber. On a given turn, each player will take a ship action, have an event, and then take two player actions. 
these player actions can be things like travel, explore, uh, the port action to heal up your characters and repair your ship, etc. The meat of the game is the explore action for sure. And when you take that action, you'll read from a book of stories based on the number of the location you're at. Anyone who's familiar with some of Red Raven Games' other story-based games will understand the system immediately. In most exploration, players will have to make choices and use their crew's diverse set of skills to overcome challenges. Or they'll end up fighting in a combat sometimes as well, which is a completely different subset of systems. So we do a thing when we do our our board game reviews called Set the Table. And I try to describe, help you visualize it. But I have to almost have a disclaimer going in to set the table for Sleeping Gods. And the first is you will need a lot, and I'm not exaggerating when I say a lot, of table space to play Sleeping Gods. And if possible, due to how much there is on the table, I would try to set it up somewhere you don't have to tear it down again just because there's right. so much there's so much to it. Um, so I'm going to describe um, the table here with maybe not as much detail as I sometimes do. Brad touched on some of the things. We'll touch on some of them during the review. And... Um, I'm also going to let you know we'll reach a point where maybe it'll really depend on your space of what, you know, what your table looks like, but I'm just going to describe ours for you. So in the center of your play area, you'll have your shipboard with the event deck on it, and you'll have your representative crew meeple and the starting resources. And then you have your Atlas book and how we did it was we put the shipboard above the atlas on our table and on the atlas you will place the miniature ship and this is your ship the manticore next to the shipboard and atlas you will have the character card for the ship's captain captain sophie odessa now this is the part for the rest of the table set up it's really going to depend and vary on your space so what I'm about to say was unique to us and our play area, but there are a lot of other parts and components needing space. So your makeup of your table may look very different uh, than ours. So to the side of the shipboard, we had our adventure cards we earned slash purchased um, during gameplay. And underneath the adventure cards near the top of the Atlas, we had our deck of ability, which... I didn't even know were called ability cards until I had to look <laughs> it up because we called them fake cards throughout the entire yeah, game. Right. And then next to that, we had our market card deck. And besides those two decks, we had the um, level card deck, which I also called our XP deck and didn't know it was called the level card deck. Brad and I, when we played, decided to um, both sit on the same side of the table so um, we wouldn't have to split space with um, two rows of crew members and character boards. Um, so what we did was on either side of the atlas, we each had four uh, crew member boards. So, And then above the shipboard, we had all of our components. Um, we put them in different bowls to keep them spaced out and um, make it easy for us to find them when we were playing and then in front of us, and in this case it was me, we had the journey um, log sheet and the that has the copy of the map. And then we had the quest cards and the port action guide in the middle between us. And we would move that when there was combat. We would slide that to the side and bring out the combat cards. And then on the other player's side, in this case Brad's side of the table, um, he had above his crew members, he had the storybook, the enemy cards, and the quest um, slash adventure card box and the completed card box. You are going to want to make sure that you have at least one ink pen. <laughs> if you have a toddler who steals it off the table, more than one ink pen um, readily available. So that's the table. It's a lot, but we're going to talk about all, all of it as we go through our review. 
Right. And for reference, our table is four by seven and sleeping gods probably took up four by five of it just with its table presence yeah and um the only reason it didn't take up more is uh we had left the one piece of our of our topper on our topper comes in for our table comes in three pieces so when we first um put it on the table we had that up otherwise i think we might have used the whole the whole thing yeah yeah definitely and obviously we're going to try to talk as generally as possible about the game but there probably will be minor spoilers for sleeping gods in this podcast uh so just be aware of that going forward we're going to try to keep it vague but some things we are going to have to get into in order to talk about the game overall you know this is one and and you know like i said we've been busy we've been tired with our teething toddler but it's also one that I had said to Brad, I wanted to make sure that whenever we did this podcast, we had the energy and the time because, I mean, right. we have spent, what, a month now or more playing <laughs> yeah. this game. And, <laughs> you know, I will say this, we play lots of games and we talk about lots of games. Obviously, we love talking about them. We started a podcast and a website and all those good things. But this game, this game is like a movie you watch and you or a show you're watching and you carry it with you and you think about it. You know, I'll just be randomly doing the dishes or playing with Jaina and I'll be thinking about a decision we made in this game. Right. Yeah. And we kept on saying to each other, well, what do you want to play tonight when we had time to play? Because as we said, things have been a little bit crazy. And the answer, while this was on our table, was almost always, well, I just kind of want to play Sleeping Gods more. Right. It's, yeah. I mean, because, it's an adventure game. Right. And it has a campaign, like you're going through it. And you have these characters. You have Sophie, and you have the other eight crew members, and you have a whole world in this wandering sea. I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're still tired. Forgive <laughs> us. And um, you meet people, and their stories are, with, you know, not. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the world stories and the people you meet are intertwined. You're in a ship. So you're going from place to place, you know, um, and you might meet someone and they're on they're, All the spaces are numbered. Right. And that's part of why you have the map to mark and you might meet someone and I'm just making numbers up. I think you start at number two. So you might meet someone or some get a quest at number two, but then you may not come back to that and you may not, ever finish that we've had we had lots of quests we didn't finish but you may meet someone else and the stories keep weaving and going from here to there and it's it's intricate and and well done and it makes me although I don't think I have the energy to set the game back up (laughs) right now (laughs) we um we we finished our first campaign our first playthrough of it and we are eager to get back in Yeah, and I mean, talking about that quest structure, right, it really is just so excellent how the game kind of guides you along but doesn't force you into any decision or anything like that, any any one path. You know, you're always, you always feel like you're pursuing short and long-term goals with this game. And if you don't ever know what to do, you literally just stop someplace and probably pick up a quest or two. And that gives you more purpose, right? Even when we finished the campaign, we, we finished it. And it in the act of finishing it, it left us breadcrumbs for stuff that we want to try on our next playthrough. Yeah. Literally, it was like the next to last turn we went. And we won't say where. We went somewhere. And you're trying to. And it's not. I don't think spoilers to say you're trying to. Like the base stories, you're trying to track down these totems to awaken the gods to get back home because the manticore ended up, ended up, it's almost like, you know, you went through a Bermuda Triangle type experience and woke up in, in another realm. And to get home, the gods are essentially telling you, you have to find totems, wake us up and we'll send you home. And the totems come in all kinds of forms and they're all kinds of places. And, um, but you're trying to get as many of them as possible because you don't know. You're not told, like, 
what the number is. So it's like, you know, you play through the event deck and do you want to, do you want to sidebar for a second and talk a little bit how the event deck is structured? Sure. Yeah. So the game of sleeping gods is timed, right? Which is probably an interesting concept for people familiar with open world video games. Cause what we're basically talking about is an open world board game. But one of the things that makes it a board game instead of a video game is there's a timer. And the way that that is tracked is through the event deck. And you have 18 cards in each deck. And it's six minor events, six medium events, and six perilous events. That's probably not what they're called, but you get the idea. Um, And when you cycle through that deck, you remake it with new cards. So it'll be new events. And then you remake it a third time when you cycle through a third time. And there's something that happens in between each of those moments, but we don't have to go into that. And that's it. When that third event deck runs out, your campaign for this particular Sleeping Gods campaign is over. And that infuses the game with a real sense of urgency because I don't know if you've ever played, you know, something like Red Dead Redemption 2, which we just played through. Uh, dear listener, but you can do whatever you want. You can pick up the main story and then go hunt for like 14 hours and then go back to, to a side quest or something. And there's no nothing pushing you forward. And I really feel like a board game experience needs something to drive the action. And for Sleeping Gods, it's this deck. And it gives you that sense of urgency that says, well, you know, we could explore literally every one of these 12 things on this island or we could go try to find the mirror forest because we have a quest that says go find the mirror forest right Mm -hmm. and you can do it however you want but that clock is ticking in the background and i think it really makes this game well and it changed so compared to other campaign games we played right like um descent or um journeys in middle earth like you said, you have that ticking timer. And although there's timed f- facets built into descent and into journeys, I might be like, oh, I'm going to go get this off to this middle of nowhere search token because I know that your characters will like finish whatever on the like dungeon we're in in descent. And I didn't really feel I had as much option to just well, to do to do I'm gonna when it's my turn to be the captain I'm just gonna have Sophie command everybody to go over here that has you know that I don't really think we're going to get a totem but I want to see this and I didn't feel I could do that this game that if I wanted to go somewhere I had to maximize every action right so if I'm in a space and I and I only have one action left I'll choose why are you laughing? Well, I was just thinking, I was like, well, we, we got sidetracked plenty, right? Because you don't usually just get one quest in an area. You get like three or four if you go to like a town or something. And then, well, we should check this out on the way to this other place, right? Right. I, okay, that's fair. But I didn't feel that was sidetracked because we were doing that to maximize our movement and our action economy. I didn't, versus, there was things that I was looking at the map, I'm like, well, that looks pretty. I kind of want to go there, but we don't have anything close to that, so there's no reason to go to it. Right, well, and I think the keyword system kind of supports that too, right? Because if you go to a place and you don't have, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna say, you better explain the keyword system and how the quests work and the keywords and the adventure book and that interaction, because I don't think we've done that. Okay, sure. So when you get a quest, right, it might be, we already used the mirror forest example, right? It might be find the mirror forest so that you can explore, you know, something. And on the card, you will get a keyword and it says mirrors, right? And if you visit the mirror forest and you don't have keyword mirrors, you will have a very different uh, exploration than if you do have keyword mirrors. If you do have keyword mirrors, when you visit the mirror forest in that location, call it like 186 or whatever, and you look up 186 in the adventure book, anyone who's familiar with Above and Below will understand the system immediately. And it says, keyword mirrors, go to this section, 
And if you don't have it, you just skip that and you read the thing. But if you do have it, you go, okay, I skip to the other section and I have a completely different story. But the genius here is while you're moving around, if you don't have the keywords, the game goes, well, mark it on your map. Come back when you do. And then you go searching for those keywords. Yeah, you do. And if you find it, then it's like, well, we had this, you know, back here at spot, you know, 75 or whatever. And, and I know that choose your own adventure is like a trademark term, but sleeping gods really gave me that sense of getting to choose the adventure. And like Brad and I said, some nights we don't have a lot of time to play. And we would think we would get through like, when I say a couple rounds, like it's first player back and forth rounds between us, right? And maybe turns is a better word. But anyway, that wasn't always the case because some of these, and they're called exploration when you get off the ship and you go into the book. Um, some of the times that you were doing exploration, it kept going for yeah, a while. Some of them are pretty long. And so we would only get like, Brad might only be the one who got like to be the captain that that evening because that might take our full 45 minutes for his turn. Right. Yeah. And I've said it before, I'll probably say it again. Most most board game n- narratives are just set dressing for the mechanics and systems of the game, right? I love Journeys in Middle-earth. I hardly remember what the first campaign of that game was about now, right? From a story perspective. I remember how cool my character was, and I remember doing all sorts of cool mechanical things with my character. It was Gimbley, and he had some amazing magic shoes so he was the most happy dancing dwarf <laughs> but i don't remember the bones of arnor campaign right sleeping gods is in a lot of ways the opposite of that for me it's mechanics in service of a narrative that is being created before your eyes and in that way it's kind of a huge paradigm shift in board games yeah. And I mean, the mechanics, it's not like the mechanics are bad. You and I talked about how, and I didn't share your sentiments, but we loved Comanauts by yep. Plat Hat. And that's a game. That's a good example of a game where the story followed me around where I went. Cause I thought about this game and the world and what we were experiencing during the campaign. But for you, you did the mechanics made it a jarring experience and took away from your enjoyment of it. But sleeping gods, I feel nailed them both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Comanauts is a game I played, continued to play through almost exclusively for the story because I did not really gel with the mechanics of that game, but the story was very compelling. Whereas sleeping gods, I'm more than happy to do the mechanical elements and the story is amazing. Yeah, I um, I will say this about the story. There were decisions that both of us made, and we 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 always look at each other. Well, what do you want to do? Like we really, when we play cooperative games, we really whether it's this or it's Eldritch Horror or Spirit Island, whatever it is, like we really talk to each other. In fact, I'll be honest, I've gotten bad at not being like, oh, even competitive games, you should do this. Like, cause I'm so used to <laughs> us playing a lot of cooperative games. Um, but anyway, we, we would make a decision together. And I would sometimes think after the fact, would I actually make that decision if I was in this place? Because some of the decisions I'm like, we might not be good people if we make this decision, <laughs> but it was like, I, you know, you felt like from a gaming standpoint, you're being driven to get these totems and your characters each have stories, which I love, right? Each of the crew members, even Sophie, they all have stories. The characters you meet along the way, some of them you pick up and they join you on, on the manticore and they travel with you either for a bit or some of them were with us at the at at the end of the campaign so quite a while and you know i think if i was you know if i was gregory or raphael or you know mac what what would i do to get home right and you know i don't know if ryan lockett has a background in writing or whatever i know he's made a lot of games and a lot of them have narrative elements but he's injected 
so much personality into each of these crew members the main crew i'm talking about the, the core nine not necessarily the adventure cards you pick up later those are sometimes you know side pieces or whatever but the main characters right like over time you find out that Raphael is superstitious whereas gregory is a skeptic right and audrey is empathetic and Kanan is family oriented and stuff but the game doesn't tell you that it's not like i read that on the back of their cards right the game showed me that when Raphael was worried about ghosts or whatever, right? And when Kanan has this moment where he thinks he sees his son in this other world and then is heartbroken when it's not his son, right? Um, and, and they just infuse so much more character into these characters, but in a way that's organic as opposed to just exposition, right? Yeah, I am. Um... I still think about some of the decisions we make and, you know, obviously, you know, I'll just tell you now, when you talk about a game staying on making it on our shelf as a permanent feature, Sleeping Gods is not going anywhere ever because I feel like this game, when you get to the end of it, and this isn't a, I don't think a spoiler, you essentially get a, because it's part, you'll see it in the box when you open it, you get a sheet to mark what you did. Yeah, it's like an achievement list. It's an achievement <laughs> list, yeah. And so, and everyone who's, you know, somewhat familiar with our content we put out there, Brad and I met in World of Warcraft. I am a video game collector that includes achievements. So it's like, oh, we have to have all of these. And um, this reminded me of the first time I played Resident Evil, I'm going to age myself here, Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube, and you get to the end of it, and because you completed it, you get things to a little bit different to start the next game with. And they did that with Sleeping Gods, and that's amazing to me, because I couldn't think of, and I'd love to hear if there's other games, adventure games like this, that do that, campaign games. Well, because everyone I've played when we finish the campaign, you just start from scratch all over again. There's no carrying into the next campaign different elements because of completing it once. And I I also want to say, this isn't like... And the closest thing is Journeys, because I do feel with Journeys, because you can fail forward on it, unlike Descent, where if you fail, you have to try again, is the there's so much we didn't explore and i i don't even know that three games would be enough to touch the tip of the iceberg here yeah i think five or six easy uh campaigns before you would see everything right um and and as you go through maybe on like you could probably get to four without repeating anything there are whole atlas pages we didn't even visit in our playthrough well and you know what's interesting they give you as you're going obviously you're going exploring right and you have these stories and like brad said you pick up these quests and they have keywords they're just vague enough that brad and i thought we were guessing wrong at time like or sorry we were guessing right at times and we were completely wrong (laughs) we never found the giant boulder no idea where it is i still don't know where the boulder (laughs) is it's there somewhere um and there's a lot of emotion and this and the narrative and like brad said with these characters you you become acquainted with the crew because it's nicely done on a lot of the exploration as you get to see that exploration through different crew members and through the captain's eyes and um there's a lot to experience with it so by the time you have done what what did we figure out 54 turns yeah i think so it's 18 times three yeah, so 54, forgive me if my math's wrong tonight, everyone. By the time you do 54 turns with these characters, and not every time's an exploration. Like, we talked about the port action. There's times you have to heal up your crew, and because, you know, everyone has um, health. Most of them have five. Yeah. Um, Raphael was was our tank, essentially. <laughs> the beefcake. Yeah, that's what I called him. I, Raphael was our beefcake because he took all the damage. <laughs> so, um, and and I was mostly playing with him. So he, I'd be like, no, he can take it because he has seven health. Like, go ahead, fork over the six damage this combat round is going to do because he'll survive it. Um, 
but you get as you're going through this narrative you you get attached to these characters and they take on a life of their own so you know we i we were always a little hesitant to let them get like knocked out because we weren't especially the first time we weren't sure what would happen you know with some with some of it like well and we're, we're still not sure because we never had a full party wipe right so we don't have we don't know what happens when that happens that's true right um just another thing to experience <laughs> next time we do it but i want to talk about the tone of sleeping gods that's a little bit different from some other adventure games right because it is an adventure game right so your eldritch horrors your uh ruin bounds right it's an adventure game um but where a lot of adventure games kind of lose people i feel like is in their punitive nature right in many adventure games when you fail at something that's it right you're denied the cool reward or you don't get to see the cool thing or whatever or you get actively punished in the case of you know like eldritch horror or something right it's like oh fight the snake guy the uh, snake person and you failed so now you're poisoned and diseased and your character takes a bunch of damage you know you should have succeeded that's on you right (laughs) um but sleeping gods right the majority of the time when you fail you face a consequence right it's like, oh, you failed, so your crew exerted themselves more than they should have. Take some damage or get some low morale or something, right? But then continue on with the story, right? It's like, okay, you know, that, that took longer than you thought it was, and you guys are way more tired than you should be, but, you know, you made it out of that cave or whatever, right? Well, and and like I said, you don't experience everything because of the choices you make and your successes and your failures. But Brad knew one time I read the text wrong because... Yeah, yeah, right. Because you're like, this game usually isn't that punitive. And I was so tired that night. I'm like, you're right. I just made you take the fail condition. So we had to like backpedal <laughs> the damage to the ship and all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, that's that's a nice, a nice feature of it. There isn't... Um, an element to the game we haven't talked about that's usually one of the first things I mention when we first start a narrative and I just want to I want to mention it now because I think you and I could talk about the narrative and nothing else with this game this game is beautiful like the artwork and I feel that way honestly I feel that way about a lot of Red Raven games I think they make some of I I I think Empires of the Void is a work of a work of art like if you took it out and you framed it you could hang it in a museum and people would just sit there and enjoy staring at it for hours sleeping gods also has that for me and um it's you know i i just want to if you haven't taken a look at just the artwork of it i encourage you even if you have no interest to play it just go look at the artwork it's beautiful yeah i mean it's in, it's in ryan lockett's style right so if you do not jive with above and below and near and far and all of those games you know probably still play sleeping gods because it's great but if you do jive with the art that's just another great thing to look forward to yeah i mean and it it was one of those things brad and i were (laughs) i remember when we we heard that sleeping gods was coming and we were so pumped and then um we got it but we knew we didn't have time or table space to to play it because until we got our board game table our other board game table was frequently used to house whatever I had to throw on it at the time to keep it out of our (laughs) toddler's hands. So that's why we needed a board game table so I could cover up our board games and still have space to throw everything to hide it from our toddler. Um, yeah. And I think that's a good time to talk about this, right? So sleeping gods is a bit of a commitment, right? It takes up huge amount of table space like we were just talking about so it's not like you can play another game next to it on most tables right and when you sign up for it you're signing up for a good 20 to 30 hour campaign depending on a number of factors right it does come with a save feature right there are instructions in the rule book for how to save your game and pack it away but i would never want to do that it's not an ideal solution to me. That probably takes, you know, 15 minutes if you've done it a bunch of times, but probably 20 to 25 minutes your first time, right? And some nights we only have 40 minutes to play, right? So I'm not going to 
and you'd have to pack it. You'd have to take it out of the box too, right? So you'd pack it away and then you'd take it out of the box and you probably wasted, well, it's not wasted, but you probably spent 30 to 40 minutes doing those two things, right? And for us, sometimes that's an entire evening's play, right? So we did not do that. We just left it on our table for the entirety of the campaign. And that's why we played it for basically a month, right? And we're fortunate to be able to do that. And some people will not be bothered by the save system, right? But if the save system sounds tedious to you and you don't have a dedicated board gaming table, really think about what you're getting into here because that's one of the only real criticisms I have of this game is it is a commitment and it's going to occupy your table for a pretty lengthy period of time. I agree. You and I have talked about this at length and you know, when you love something, sometimes it can be hard to find criticism in it. And I, I do think, and I don't even know it's a criticism. I just think it's a heads up. Yeah. You just got to know your, that's what you're signing up for. You have to know what you're signing up for. You have to know the space and the time it's going to take. And I do think there's a lot of people who probably would want to and love to play sleeping gods, but don't have the table space. And you know, kind of like along the lines of how a lot of people like Gloomhaven became digital. I think Sleeping Gods would be an interesting one if they could somehow mm, make it yeah. make it digital for people who find themselves in that situation where they don't have the table space or the time for the setup and tear down if, you know, they wanted to play it. Um, but they could, you know, pay for a digital copy and enjoy it, come come to and from and enjoy it it that way i think it is an ideal candidate to be made digital although now it's making me feel that we shouldn't play gloomhaven digital i wouldn't want to miss the experience (laughs) we just had with sleeping gods but brad's right you have to you have to know what you're getting into because otherwise it will be a, a frustration for you right and while we're levying our completely benign criticisms at this game we should also talk about the price point right Mm -hmm. it's 85 dollars for the base game and then 40 dollars for the tides of ruin expansion which we didn't play with in our first playthrough even though we do own it because we wanted to see what just the base game was like right so that's going to price some people right out of this game because 85 dollars is two games for some people right Um, and for the full package, you're looking at $125, not counting the dungeon expansion, which I don't know if that's Kickstarter exclusive or not, if it's going to be a retail or not. Um, you know, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, value for money or whatever, because that's, that's ludicrous because the amount of value in this box is insane, but it is an expense, right? And it is going to price some people out. Yeah. I mean, you and I talk about that even when we're talking about why we're surprised why some Kickstarters do better than others, that, you know, the times we're living through, the unprecedented times that we're all living through right now, um, it is the price points matter and they're going to yeah. keep getting and and it's not just it's not just on Red Raven games with sleeping gods. Like you said, there's a lot of value in that box. Games are going to keep getting more and more expensive, so people are really going to be choiceful with how they're spending their money. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just the cost of the materials to make this game alone probably justify its cost, right? There's a huge book in there. There's another Atlas book. There's a bunch of cardboard, right? It's a heavy box. So I'm not talking value for money in that sense either, but just be aware it is not on the cheaper end of games and you should kind of know if you're going to like it going in but I don't think you will have any issues reselling it if you don't like it. Yeah, I don't even know. it's really hot right now. Yeah, I was going to say, um, when we were at our local game store, he hasn't been able to get or keep the base game in stock since yeah. it released. Um, so Brad touched on it about the, the, you know, you have your Atlas book, we have the map that you mark on, and you have your keywords. I'm going to introduce you to my OCD with spreadsheets for a little bit. Um, I think it's awesome, by the way. I think it's a, it gives it a real thematic feel, the map and using the pen to circle and write the keywords down. Um, but if you're like me 
and you need to keep things organized, I would suggest making a spreadsheet and numbering it, you know, up to whatever the question he's shaking his head. I'm never going to do that. (laughs) You're right. You're not. But since I keep the log and the map, I will have a spreadsheet where my keywords are. So it's easier for me (laughs) to find them by number. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about combat because the combat's unique here. And if you've listened to all of our episodes at this point, you know that my board game memory a few weeks ago was making fun of myself because I missed the entire first event deck of understanding how the combat truly worked. Because so you have your characters and they have um, they have, you know, their health. And they each come with like a weapon, right? Yeah, they a baseline have weapon. A sure. baseline weapon that's on their card. And you have, essentially when you're doing combat, you have two things you're looking at. You have the um, amount of damage that your weapon can do. And what's the thing called for hit? Oh, accuracy. Accuracy. Sorry, I'm using wild terms. What's your <laughs> old wild terms at that? What's your hit? So you, when you go into combat, the combat are cards and they tell you for all your combat what they are for cards and they have their little you know amount of health on them and you have a certain amount that you have to be able to hit for accuracy to even do damage to them right their defense value their defense value and you have then their damage that they do back and damage moves in straight lines right so you can yeah the, the enemies are set up like a grid Right. So the whole first event deck, each character's weapon, whether it's their base one or you can get them from marketplace or quest or different places, you can pick up other weapons um, to help, you know, essentially level up and augment your strength as a, as a crew going into the, you know, your expeditions and going through the Wandering Sea. I didn't realize that the symbol next to the weapon and there's, what is it? There's like five. I want to say five five or six symbols um, for the game that mean different things. There's there's like savvy. Um, he's counting them in his head now. <laughs> so anyway, um, I didn't realize that that symbol was there and you had a card equip because you can equip cards to, you know, that do different things under your character. Each character gets two unless you have the special thing. Um, I think it's Kasumi can do that gives her the ability to equip three, right? Oh, with one of the level up cards. The yeah. level up cards, yeah. Other than that, everyone gets two. Um, so I didn't realize that you could discard those if you had them equipped to do additional damage. So I was, I was essentially being carried on my side of the combat table <laughs> because I wasn't doing my full potential of damage the whole first event deck. Yeah, I mean, we we still managed, and uh, I actually really like the combat system. I really think it's quite good. Um, It's very tactical, and I really like how each character, uh, each crew member, has a synergy token where if you hit the monster just right, you know, and you hit the space with the diamond while you're doing your normal damage and stuff, you get to give that synergy token to somebody else and that represents you setting up another crew member for like a combo attack or something. <laughs> and I just, you know, and, and and that's actually really important to do as well. It's not just a fluff thing, right? Your crew has to work together to beat these monsters. Yeah, honestly, I feel, and Brad and I talk about this a lot, that like cooperative games should be given to couples to see how they do well like engaging on the table <laughs> together but i'm i'm telling you like sleeping gods if you went into the combat and it's like uh i'm not gonna like work with you you're really gonna struggle because we had to agree of who was going to do what because some of the monsters as they get harder and it tells you like when you draw combat cards they'll be like level 11 level <laughs> yeah level 23 combat no big deal yeah and you haven't fought anything yet <laughs> Okay, so fun story, right? We talk about memories with this game. This isn't a spoiler. I'm just going to use the combat level. We had not been playing very long, and we came to, like, we'll say a cave. And I don't remember if it was actually a cave, but I'm going to use a general term so I don't spoil anything. We came to a cave, and it, like, gives you options as the, you know, expedition always does. And I was the captain. 
And I had just given Brad grief for making like dangerous decisions with our crew. <laughs> and it's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, let's go in, right? <laughs> let's just go in. Level 17 combat, folks. And you had the option to run. And Brad's like, um, you know, we, we probably aren't level 17 yet. And I'm like, no, let's <laughs> do it. You get a level 17 monster. It's no joke because all of a sudden... You went from having not easy combat. I don't actually feel there's like, except maybe the, like even maybe the base, the opening is a little easy to softball. Yeah. Land. And I think towards the end when our characters had all their abilities and really good weapons, combat started to feel a little easy. Yeah. And by that time you and I were also though synergizing very well with how we were approaching it. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why the synergy tokens have the perfect name because we really tried to think about essentially the next step in combat, who we were going to pick for their synergy token and why we were going to pick them. And, um, so anyway, um, you know, you feel it when you get a level 17 monster and maybe and one of the cool things they did with some of these is some of these combat cards are actually like a body of a creature like spaced out which was pretty cool um but you get a thing and let's just say it's arm or it's hand or whatever does you know has on its little grid has like a five it does five on top of its three well that's going if you don't cover that no not even the beefcake can survive that (laughs) so like you have to make sure like you're working together and you don't maybe bite off more than you can chew there are times and we did survive we did survive the cave i will say that (laughs) like brad said none of our characters died completely but we (laughs) well individual characters were knocked out but the crew never got completely party wiped but that was probably the closest we came i confess i was a i was not a good sophie (laughs) (laughs) captain at that time but um you know there's there are and combat bring combat usually you know for the most part the combat is going to give if you choose the option to do this dangerous thing and go into this dangerous place you get xp and a lot of times the combat i feel gives the higher xp than some of the other choices and in that way, it definitely feels like a video game, right? Because you get the XP to get the level up cards. So, Yeah, and I mean, I really did like the combat system. But as much as I liked it, sometimes it kind of interrupted the flow of the game a little bit, these combats. Because you had already mentioned it. Sometimes we'd only get through two turns for the whole night, right? And a lot of the time that was because we got involved in a combat and sometimes combats are really complex and really dangerous. So you have to really think through your moves and that can take 20 minutes by itself. Right. And in that way it can kind of interrupt the flow of go to this place, explore the thing, get new quests, you know, track down the quests, etc. Cause you get mired in this combat. Right. And uh, where I'm going with this is, the majority of the time, if you don't want to fight in this game, you don't have to. It's, It does happen where it's just like, all right, you're ambushed, combat time, right? Or, you know, there's no choice but to fight here, right? But a lot of the times it's like, well, you could talk it out with these guys. Or you could run, you know, or you could do whatever, right? And that'll take you in a completely different direction than, you know, trying to beat these people up. But it's an option. You could probably get through this game mostly pacifist there's a few fights you can't avoid for sure but a lot of the time you do have the option not to fight which is refreshing to me i almost always pick the option to fight (laughs) um i confess in part it's because i just want to see the combat cards because like i said the art's beautiful i'm just curious what are these creatures like following us well and the flip side of what i just said right is sometimes it interrupts the flow but sometimes it's a nice break right it's a nice breakup to get the adrenaline pumping a little bit even though it's completely deterministic combat well that's not true because you need to hit the accuracy and how you do that is you decide who you're gonna attack and you compare your weapons accuracy plus a fake card so it's not completely deterministic there's there's so much to unpack with sleeping gods honestly i feel we could probably do a three-hour podcast and not unpack everything um 
Did we talk about command and the command tokens? No, we haven't touched on command at all. Let's let's touch on that. So there's a set command token pool. And your command is used for a lot of things. It's often used to activate the adventure cards. It's each of your characters on their sheets have special abilities that take one or two command. And you have to, if you're committing a character, because um, there's, what are they called? I'm blanking on it. Um, challenges. Challenges. Thank you. I wanted to say contest, and it was not a contest. <laughs> You definitely did not always get a prize. Um, so there's challenges throughout. Sometimes it can be like, um, you know, just moving, right? Like moving the manticore or moving into a space. You have to like, you know, commit people to try and avoid ship damage from something. And it will tell you, you know, what the attribute is, is you need. You know, you need... You need yeah. six savvy or you're going to take, you know, two ship damage. Yeah, or you've got to climb this wall and that's going to take nine strength or yeah, what, whatever. You know, trick these people and that takes cunning or whatever, right? Yeah, so whatever the challenge is. Um, but if you're, like, if your players wants to be committed and you're not the captain, uh, if your crew members, I mean, are you want to commit them, you have to have command to help your fellow player so command's really important. It's almost, I mean, there is currency. There is currency in this game, but it's almost like the player's individual currency. And you you want to make sure you have it because, I mean, by the end of the game, we probably, I don't even know, what do we have, like 25 adventure cards on the table? <laughs> like we had a lot of adventure cards. And um, you you need to make sure that you know you're not just and you need it to equip the cards the um the ability cards yep i was gonna call them fake cards but that was our homemade term for them our ability cards you need you need to equip them so you're really balancing your command and that pool is limited so when there's nothing in it the next player won't get any unless they have like they use the ship action to move somewhere that clears the board or puts some of it back in. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really clever system, the command system. It's kind of a subsystem of your action economy where you get one ship action and two actions. You can kind of cheat it out a little bit by getting less powerful but still impactful actions using command, right? Um, in addition to the ones that you just get for free on your turn. But as you were saying, right, it's a limited resource. So there's diminishing returns or not. It's not a limiting resource. It's, it's a closed economy. You, there's only so much command in the pool and you can't add to that pool in any way. Right. So if it's all in use, tough luck. And that means that there's diminishing returns on having too much command. Right. There, there were a couple of times in our campaign where I had eight command and i was like this is too much this is actually going to hamper jess's next turn right because she's gonna go to the quarters and try to get four command and there's only two in the pool or whatever right so i gotta spend some of this so that it can go on to cards and then somebody can clear those cards off and put them back in the pool because hoarding it is just not going to be helpful to, to the other people at the table and it's just another way in which this game kind of pushes collaboration at you without being coercive, right? You kind of come to that realization yourself. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's one of the best cooperative games for really forcing discussion and thinking of the next player's turn because of things like the, the command. Right. And we, as, as we got, and this is one of the reasons I'm excited to jump back in, right? As we got to the closer to the end, we really were realizing more how to maximize our crew members and their builds and what ability cards were we equipping. And there's, there's just a lot to unpack and enjoy as the game goes on. And you essentially, I don't want to say get better at it, but feel more comfortable with the mechanics and systems it has in place. Yeah, and it's a really interesting feeling because I don't know that I want to get better at Sleeping Gods, right? Most of the games that we play, especially competitive ones, the goal is to get better, right? I said in our obsession 
uh, podcast that I don't know if we're playing that game well, but I think there's the possibility to play that game well, right? As a form of praise. I don't know that I want to get better at Sleeping Gods, right? I don't want to optimize my play of this game. I want to experience this game, right? And as opposed to playing it, which is an interesting feeling. I want to do both. <laughs> I do. You laugh at me, but like I I've become attached to these characters after this month we've spent with them. So I want to turn them and I can't swear here, so I'm going to make them BA with how murder machines. Murder machines. <laughs> um to keep them safe because I care about these characters. No. So yeah, I want to I want to maximize how I play with them to protect them. Well, and I think that's fair too. Um, I have a minor complaint to design. We pulled a piece from another game out. Oh yeah, that's true. To use uh, with this, and it's not necessary. So on the sheet that they give you for tracking, uh, which is the back side of your map, there is a box to track XP. And you use XP when you go and you do the port action and you can get the level up cards. Which you want to do, by the way. You want to make sure that you are you are getting them. And I don't really want to tell you why, so you can be just as surprised as we were at the end of the first event deck. But <laughs> um, through the game, you want to make sure that you're trying to get XP and that you are spending it. Um, but it's really just a box where you mark and you scratch off. And my OCD didn't really love that. So we actually got into Lawyer Up by Rock Manor Games and pulled out their, the, well, I don't remember what that. That's the influence style. Influence style. We pulled out the influence style and I had an influence style from that game that I used to track. So I, I just think that that would be, if there's ever a reprint <laughs> uh, Red Raven Games, that'd be my ask is to put or make a little special dial we can add, buy as an add-on for the for the xp tracker yeah and if you're looking for another game that has that as a solution for sleeping gods uh, another popular game aeon's end usually comes with those kinds of dials as well to keep track of health so pill for your other games to make this one just a little bit smoother but i want to go back to the explorations real quick because as we were talking about the essence of most explorations is either a skill challenge or combat, but every once in a while, this game kind of threw stuff at us that was a little bit off the beaten path of those two concepts. Uh, the one that's sticking out in my mind is one time we were asked to solve a riddle, right? And the game had us write down our answer and then flip to a totally separate page. So it's not like you could kind of like cheat it by reading ahead or whatever and uh, see if you were right. And I just thought that was really cool. It was kind of, you know, roleplay-esque in my uh, narrative adventure game. Yeah, I mean, and there's there's things like that. And then there's times where there's actually pictures. And I, yeah. I don't want to say anything more than that. Like, But there are those nice little things that um, the design team of this game threw in there. And, you know, I mean, I think we're probably getting close to the end of our podcast. Like... If you have the space and if you have the time, I I can't, and you love adventure games and you love a story and you want to connect with characters in your board game, you know, I, I can't think of a game I'd recommend more than this one. I really can't. We talked about this, about how we love adventure games, but I feel like to some extent for Red Raven Games, this was building taking all the great things about some of the other games they did like empires of the void and above and below and you know other adventure games that they have played and bringing all these elements together and um it's a masterpiece yeah i mean i did struggle to find criticisms for this game i really really liked it and here's the thing right Games nowadays are, by and large, quite good, right? It's pretty tough to find a game that's actively bad unless you're looking for them, right? But if you're in the hobby board game space and you're just trolling Kickstarter or whatever, a lot of those games are fine, right? 
good even. So for a game to be truly excellent and really wow me now, it has to really bring something extra special to the table. And I think, you know, Obsession was a good example of this, right? With the the theming and the mechanics driving so well together and everything. And I think Sleeping Gods is one of those games too. I think it's the best board game narrative I've experienced since Komonauts while being a significantly better game than Komonauts ever was. And I think it elevates the entire idea of a board game narrative for me and is going to be my standard for narrative-driven board games going forward. I mean, you know, I love Komonauts a lot too, but I do feel... There was just um, there's just so much to Sleeping Gods, right? Like I we we talk about you talk about Comanots. We're keeping it on our shelf to play with Jaina someday because there's elements of that game that I want to when she's older as a parent use the game to talk to her about. Sleeping Gods. I don't know that I'll ever play it enough to feel that I've unpacked it, truly unpacked the experience all because one it'll take a while to get it to and from the <laughs> table to to have the time to play it but you know it will it will always have a place on our shelf because i think even if we feel we've done it all my memory clearly isn't what it once was i can easily go back and enjoy the experience with these characters all over again yeah any final thoughts brad no i well done Mr. Ryan Lockett just said it already, but uh, Sleeping Gods is a masterpiece. You've been listening to Game Night with the Saints with us, your hosts, Jess and Brad St. Pierre. If you like what you just heard, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. You can also follow us on Instagram at Saint Gamers or Twitter at Saint underscore Gamers to let us know what you think and be notified when the next episode goes live. We also have a Ko-Fi account linked at the bottom of the show notes if you feel like tossing us a couple of bucks to help offset the costs of running the podcast and website. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, remember, it's just a game.